Welcome to Central Coast Voices, a program addressing the ramifications of change in our communities and beyond, and how today's choices will impact tomorrow's community. This program is a project of action for healthy communities, and it's provided in collaboration with KCBX and the Community Foundation of San Luis Obispo County. And this program is made possible through underwriting by Joan Kellert Sargent. Today's host is Dr. Lada Murdy. Now let's join Dr. Murdy and her guests. Over to you, Lada. Thank you, Brad. The Regional Economic Action Coalition of California's Central Coast, or REACH, has formed a six-county coalition called Uplift Central Coast. Uplift is working to expand opportunity for all residents in Santa Cruz, San Benito, Monterey, San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, and Ventura counties. My guests today will tell us more about this regional effort. They are Quinn Brady, Project Director for Uplift Coalition, and Lady Freire, Project Manager for Uplift Coalition. Welcome, Quinn and Lady. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for being here today to talk about Uplift. So, Quinn, I'd like to start with you. Tell us about the Uplift Project. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, It's been a really exciting and fast journey over the last six months, and so we're really um, grateful to be able to share with all of your listeners today a little bit more. Um, So Uplift Coalition came together. It's really a six-county partnership um, brought together by three agencies, one which you mentioned is REACH. Um, The other two are MBEP, the Monterey Bay Economic Partnership, and based out of Monterey, and the EDC, the Economic Development Collaborative, based in Ventura. And those three agencies came together um, about a year ago and really worked in deep partnership with the community to put together an application for initial funding from the California Economic Resilience Fund, which in short is SURF. Um, so we'll refer to that today as SURF. Um, and SURF is really a pot of funding, originally $600 million from the state of California um, that really came together from the Coronavirus Fiscal Recovery Fund um, and is meant to support all the different regions around our state in building their own community-based resilience plans um, for really following the, the coronavirus, um, uh, the really how hard that was, and seeing that we can't just have one blanket answer for the whole state. There's really lots of common things, but lots of different challenges that each region holds. So the state was broken up into 13 regions to really come together and make their own plans. And our Central Coast region, the six counties that you named, um, fall under the Uplift Coalition. And so we are working together to make a resilience plan, um, both to have a plan that we can collaboratively work together across the region with a really regional mindset, but also to draw down funding um, for implementation. So it's not just a plan that will sit on the shelf. It's really an action plan that brings our community together to work together. That's a lot. That's that's a very informative (laughs) summary. So um, I'm going to ask, what exactly is a community-based resilience plan? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, This work really hasn't been done before. Uh, This this is the first time the state is trying this. Um, It's the first time these three agencies have come together to do this. But essentially, it's bringing Um, community members who make up our community, who really carry the hope and the work of our community on their backs to the table, people who have traditionally not been at the table sharing power in this way, and asking them to really co-create their own economic future. What are those barriers to economic opportunity that already exist in our communities? And what are some of the ideas and the things that are working to overcome them? And what is still needed? And so that plan is really to address some of those barriers that currently exist, but not just by um, 
with like any traditional solutions, but really meaningful solutions that also get to the heart of making sure we're doing that with in an equitable way, bringing together underserved, historically marginalized, disinvested community members to have that power and say what they need and what they want and brainstorm and come together to be a part of the solution. So it's really co-creating a plan and then putting that into action by funding projects that will meet some of those needs. So, Lady, who are some of those community members? Yeah, we have been connecting with communities in different counties, in different cities, in different towns across the six-county region. And we have been talking to Latino communities, immigrant, indigenous communities, um, African-American, small business owners, farm workers, labor unions. So we have been engaging with a lot of people across the six-county region. Um, And we have found different and similar perspectives, um, but it's been a really um, complete work of reaching out to everybody that needs to be here. So what is REACH or Uplift's definition of a disinvested community? Because that was kind of a new term to me with Mm -hmm. Uplift. I mean, I'd heard it before, but I haven't heard it used as much as Uplift is using it. Yeah, well, it's a great question. So the state of California, when they put forward the um, Community Economic Resilience Fund, has their own definition of disinvested, um, and that's around a certain um, economic and um, different populations that fall between a wage threshold. And so there's lots of pockets around our state and in our region that are by definition, disinvested in that way. Um, for Uplift Coalition, we are expanding that to make sure that we're reaching um, not just a, a definition that is p- per dollar, per capita, but really also some of the, the historically underserved and under and traditionally marginalized and many times um, purposefully marginalized communities, mm-hmm. the, our queer communities, um, the Latino, the, the undocumented communities of our, our area, and making sure that we are centering their lived experience, centering their voices, and bringing them in, into the table and, and really deliberately sharing power um, in a new way. But ultimately, this is about economic development, right? Economic resilience. Mm-hmm. So are you able to share those wage thresholds with the state? Has, has or are they not set in stone? Yeah, well, we are actually in a, um uh, exercise right now with our committee members, which we can talk a little bit about as well, um, because this project is really, Lady and I and our, and our teams are here supporting the work, but it's being driven by community members who sit on our committees. Um, and we are in a deep phase of research where we're looking at um, what are those wage thresholds? What is a, the status, um, the definition of a struggling family? And how do we move families um, from struggling family status into um, a place where they can live and thrive here. And every area that those numbers are a little bit different, but we're trying to go beyond just um, what does it look like to be able to pay your rent and your electricity and your water, but can you handle the childcare bill? Can you handle a $500 emergency if you need to? Um, and trying to, to, to pinpoint those numbers. So that's one of the things I'm really excited about in this project that is done both through research and through um, really deep community engagement and understanding where people are and those numbers will be yet to come. Um, and really just in a few more months, those will be those findings will be public and we'll be excited to share those out. And I would assume struggling has a different definition or meaning for different communities mm-hmm. as yeah. well. 
Yeah, and we have been trying to bring that questions to the communities when we have been doing listening sessions or community convenings, because when you talk about economy, it can be just about the money, just about income, just about the taxes you pay. But also, in my perspective, it's more a holistic concept of economy. It's about how do you thrive in a region, specific in the Central Coast region that is very diverse in all range possible. So we have bring back that questions to the community. What is economic development for you? When you hear about economic development, what do you think about? Do you think is impacting you? Um, and we have been having answers about not only income or jobs, we have answers about house, um, childcare or housing or environmental issues that are related to that. So yeah, it's very important to bring back that concept. And that's the important part of SURF or Uplift is connecting community voices to these other language, very state language that is very uh, technical and it's not very open and fluent for everybody. So community mm -hmm. engagement, what does that mean for, mm -hmm. for Uplift? Yeah, um, maybe I'll start and then I'm going to mm -hmm. pass to you, lady, because um, we've been really looking at this and I think this is a huge, huge piece of the project. But traditional economic planning exercises usually have um, a way for the community to engage in public comment or um, weighing in in some types of ways. This we're really trying to make sure and challenge ourselves and hold ourselves accountable that community engagement isn't just performative and it's not just um, another check box, but something that is really led and informed by the community. So um, right now, we've been in a season of hosting listening sessions all across the region that can look like 10 people in a room, it can look like 25 people or 50 people in a room, and um, really understanding what are some of the lived experiences, some of those barriers to economic opportunity, um, both in their lived identity and in the workplace. Um, and we're also hosting more public meetings. We're getting ready to launch some surveys out into the world. And we're starting to bring some community-based organizations in as partners who have trusted relationships with the community members who live here to make sure that their voices are centered. And another thing that we've really learned along the way is that we might have an idea of how to reach people, but what's so important is actually challenging that idea and being responsive when we start to hear that we've missed that mark and there's other ways. So um, we're trying to be incredibly responsive and go to where people are and not just bring them in um, into a language or into an idea of how it's how we originally conceived the plan. And Lady has been an incredible leader driving that work and has heard many stories and is facilitating in multiple languages. And um, maybe you could share a little bit yeah. of what that's been like. Yeah. And I will... I, will, I want to go back to what is community engagement. And I remember one of the first meetings that we have to plan all this uplift project that is very complex and have different layers. And someone said, yeah, we need to go to the expert and ask about what is the future for the Central Coast. And we have all these component of community engagement, and they usually are not considered experts. And they are because they are living the lives that they are living. Mm -hmm. They have stories. So that's been my personal uh, task in this Uplift project is bringing really the voices of the Central Coast mm -hmm. to the project. So um, we have been doing, during the summer, we did 22 listening sessions and community convenings. We reach out to 871 community members. 
Um, and we also were using our inclusivity fund. That is another part of the SURF project, the Uplift project, is we are compensating the participation of individuals in these listening sessions. It's not, as Quinn was saying, it's not a transactional activity. It's a hopefully transformative activity. We want to hear from them. We want to gather their stories and then bring back the reports or the planning for the economic development of the region. Mm. So we have been hearing a lot of stories. I remember the most impactful for me was a listening session in Yukuyama. It was the first time that I was there. And it's a little place. I was like, where's the people coming from for this listening session? I don't see any houses. We hosted in the um, local restaurant. And we had two listening sessions, one in Spanish, one in English. And that's one thing that we have been doing. We host the gatherings in their own language that people speak. So we have been doing listening sessions in Spanish, English, Mixteco, Chatino, the language that community speaks. And we have some questions about what is economic development, what are the assets in your community, what do you need, what are your jobs? And I remember one in Yukuyama, in the restaurant, there was the server helping us to uh, delivering the food, etc. And she joined the conversation and she said, um, I work here, I have a child, and I have to take turns with my sister-in-law to go to work because both of us cannot go for work at the same time because there are no childcare available in Yukuyama. Mm. And that is something that is not only for Yukuyama people, it's around the Central Coast and I guess around California and the country. Um, things like that that are not directly considered in economic development, but is in impacting lives of people and women mostly because still women have the task of being care of uh, being taking care of kids so those are some of the um, stories other people is like everything that is happening with undocumented immigrants that work in agriculture and sometimes we can think that is the main option for them to start working in this country when they come here but also there is another whole group this was in Monterey County, indigenous people from Mexico and El Salvador. And they were saying, we have the knowledge of working the land. We love working the land. We love our job. The bad part is that is so bad paid. Uh, the wages are so low. People take uh, advantage, advantage of us because we are undocumented. And we have the knowledge. We love working on that. So those type of stories we need to, we want to bring up to the attention for planning economic development for the region. I'm Lada Murti with you for Central Coast Voices on KCBX, your Central Coast listener-supported radio station. If you recently showed your support to KCBX, thank you. You make it possible for this station to provide the news, information, and music that you rely on every day. We finished just short of our goal, though, and it's important that we meet our budget. So if you haven't yet made your pledge of support, you can still help by donating at kcbx.org or by calling during business hours at 800-549-8855. My guests today are Lady Freire, Project Manager for Uplift Coalition, and Quinn Brady, Project Director for Uplift Coalition. And Lady and Quinn are telling us about the coalition's efforts to improve economic opportunity on California's Central Coast. So Lady, you were giving us some 
powerful examples of what you've learned through mm -hmm. community engagement. And I was thinking about how place-based this is. So mm -hmm. how do you decide where to go? What communities do you have it in a restaurant? Mm -hmm. um, if you didn't have it in a restaurant, you wouldn't have talked to that or heard from that server, right? So how do you decide where to go, where to have these? Do you do them on Zoom? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we are a team of three organizations. So we have one organization in the northern region, MBEP, and our other partner organization is EDC in Ventura. So the three teams are working on, at the beginning, we started mapping the region and looking for community-based organizations that can be partners in this community engagement to reach out to different disinvested communities. Um, so we started with that. And that then it was like a snowball. Well, people started to know that we were doing these listening sessions. People were very excited about it. So um, it was like organically more organizations wanted to uh, partner with us and bring these conversations to the community. And that is exciting because sometimes you can see or you can think economic development is so arid and so dry, uh, but people are very engaged. And one of the main things that, and this is not about how are we engaging, but one of the things that is impactful for me is even though there are many needs in specific regions and for specific populations, everybody is so interested in keeping the towns or the city of the, or their communities alive. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we have been doing outreach through the organizations and usually they know what is the best place to host the listening session, either a restaurant or a church or a school. And also they know about how to, um, uh, what refreshments to provide or what foods. If we are doing a listening session with farm workers at the end of the day, we're not gonna bring just cookies and coffee. We need to bring a more substantial meal. So it's being a, a partnership with local community-based organizations mm -hmm. and the team in the three organizations. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna add that the SURF, so Community Economic Resilience Fund, the state identified 12 demographic constituency groups that are, um, we. it's really our mandate to engage those groups in this planning process. So um, those 12, to name a few, labor organizations, workforce entities, um, California Native American tribes, disinvested communities, um, and, um, government agencies, there's there's several. And so when we look at who we're engaging and where we're going, we're really centering, making sure that we're focusing on those um, those populations and our the committees that we have that really govern and lead and um, help direct this work are made up of representatives from each of those constituency groups. So just as that lady was saying, that with our organizations came together and, and mapped um, what organizations are doing work where, we also really rely on our 34 community our committee members across the region um, that live in those communities and know them very well, and they are deeply informing where we should be having these conversations, um, organizations and uh, communities and neighborhoods that are traditionally left out of that process, and making sure that we're pulling up lots and lots of chairs to the table um, in, in whatever way that looks like at the direction of our, our committees and the members that know our area the most. In addition to those committee members, you have um, sort of an administrative team as as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. six counties is a yeah. <laughs> large area. So can you tell us more about who they are? Yeah, our team. Yeah, is that your team. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. So I get the real privilege and honor to work with Lady every day. And I think we um, have often just been like, 
running full speed. We came together, both of us started this work about six months ago. So we're six months into the planning grant, which is a two-year process. Um, and then from there, we'll be applying, applying for additional funding for the implementation phase. And we have um, team members in both the North, North and South and a couple admin on our team helping support us. But we're we're a small team carrying that admin um, role. And so we um, really get the honor of working deeply connected to both the community members that we're working with, with the committee members who are helping drive the project, um, with the three agencies that brought this together, Reach MBEP and EDC, as well as the state interagency team that is um, facilitating the surf planning process. So um, if you reach out to Uplift Coalition, you're going to hear from most likely Lady or myself. <laughs> <laughs> and where can our listeners find out more? Yeah, upliftcentralcoast.org. So that's the website. That's the website. Um, that's the website. And that is a great place um, to find information about uh, public meetings that we're having, ways to get involved in some listening sessions. As I was mentioning earlier, we are right now um, entering a, a partnership with organizations around the region who are going to be facilitating some of these listening sessions and surveys and ways of engagement, maybe canvassing in neighborhoods. Um, so those organization partners will also be listed on our website. And so Wherever you are in the region, there will be organizations working on making sure that community members have opportunities to be engaged and, and make sure there's lots of pathways and lots of doors to walk through. Can you tell us who some of those organization partners are? Yeah, um, we don't know yet. We are committee members right now today. I think before we came mm -hmm. here, we were talking to several of them are the ones that are choosing them. So we had 48 organizations apply for funding with us to be in those partnerships. And we'll be selecting um, and, and funding $450,000 worth of um, grants, small grants to resource organizations for participation, um, really knowing that so many of the organizations in our communities are doing incredible work, building trust, really understanding those barriers, bringing people into relationship. And so um, we're so excited and really honored to be pulling them in and getting to work together um, on this project. So in the next two weeks, those um, organizations that the, the committees select for that work will be public. And that is actually a really a part that's been close to my heart in this work is um, what it looks like, and Lady spoke to this a little bit earlier, to resource individuals and organizations for participation. We um, are facilitating the grant and the overall funding for the planning process, but um, doing everything we can to both resource individuals, um, partners, facilitators to be in this work with us, leading it and making sure that we're not overburdening organizations and individuals and we're really valuing them for their time. I think we often look at um, historically underserved community members and ask them for their opinion and tell us their story and we place more burden and ask them to do free labor. And so um, we've been trying to find really meaningful ways to make sure that we can disrupt that and, and do it differently. So you mentioned the three main organizations involved mm -hmm. and the committee members and, and the team. Um, how did you both come mm -hmm. to this project or um, the, the committee members, the partners? Mm -hmm. What was your path to this project? Well, I can start. Um, I just received the newsletter from Reach <laughs> with the position open, and I applied. Um, but How I was, did you hear about Reach? 
I was uh, working in, a, in another organization, Vision y Compromiso, that works with promotores. And I received the newsletter from Reach. And actually, I used the Reach website to find some demographic data for when I was writing grants or writing reports. So I knew about them, but I didn't know what they actually did. Um, and I was looking for a new space for professional development. So I applied and uh, actually I applied for Quinn's role and she was the best for that role. And I'm super happy about that. Um, and I was offered the project manager position. Um, but I'm from Chile. I moved here eight years ago and I am a social anthropologist, so I was doing same similar work in Chile. I always work with um, governmental programs supporting women to access the workforce or economic development through small businesses. Um, and there and here, I've seen the power of when women are supported and when they have access to economic development, access for training, access for more things beyond being taking care of the regular traditional women things, um, you can see the community transformation. So um, I think I'm in between this very state work and very grand state work and community work. And I'm super happy to be part of this project now because it's, it's a perfect place to be for me and my skills. Mm. So it's the, at the intersection yes, of both. Totally. That's mm -hmm. great. And you, Quinn? Yeah, well, I really identify with being at the intersection of the work that I've done. Um, I think over the last 15 years, I've gotten really the opportunity and honor to work with so many community groups, um, both here on the Central Coast and abroad, and um, I'm from the Midwest. Um, so I've worked with grassroots organizations and worked in nonprofit development and then worked with um, for-profit uh, companies that are advocating for um, changes in the way that we do things. And um, s much of that, really all of it, has centered around um, climate resilience and um, racial equity and, and belonging. And so um, learning about SURF and the Community Economic Resilience Fund, actually when I, when I first heard about it, I started, it was n um, late at night and I started Googling and I stayed up the whole night reading about the Community Economic Resilience Fund and watching videos about the formation of it and what it was doing. And I just felt like, what an incredible opportunity and really just a very different way of going about work that could, has the potential to be truly transformative. Um, and so I, I really believe that and I got deeply excited and looking at who was doing this work here. And so um, kind of plugged into the, the work just through um, a, a deep excitement about something that held a lot of potential and, and holds so much potential to be really meaningful in our community. And I think there were many, many, many um, organizations and individuals that came together to help develop the application for the Central Coast. And um, I think many of them came from that same reason. They saw what, what potential this opportunity holds. I mean, do they also see the impact mm. the pandemic was having mm -hmm. on the economy? You mentioned the coronavirus mm. earlier. Did did SURF grow out of that, or um, was it in the works before? Yeah, it really did um, come from that. The um, funding that came down from the American Rescue Act is what seeded the funding for the, the, the Community Economic Resilience Fund. And I think many of the, really all probably of the organizations that we're talking to and our committee members, they were working together to meet 
obviously some of our most pressing needs during that time. Um, and then they, many of them saw how um, how much it impact the historically underserved community members who call the Central Coast home. Um, many of them were frontline workers. They were those that could not take off a day, who had to take their children to work and have them sit in the back of their car at the car wash. And um, I, I, so I think I really re- deeply respect our the committee members who are giving their time to this work because they see how important it is and the impact that's possible by building a more resilient coast. And yes, we're going to fund probably really cool strategies and projects, but one of the things that um, gets me up every morning and excited is that we also have committee members in Ventura who are now getting to know um, people in Santa Barbara and building collaboration and commitment to each other and what does it look like to navigate our most pressing, challenging times um, with a, a sense of regionalism, not just what can our tiny community do. And there's a lot we can. We saw that. That was really the silver lining, I think, of COVID is we saw what we were all capable of in working together. Um, but how can we expand that to make sure that our, our coast and our communities can bolster and support each other? Because this is a coalition, mm-hmm. and it is about coalition building. Mm-hmm. Which is... Not for the faint of heart. <laughs> no, no. It's it's harder than, than it looks, mm-hmm. I, I would say. Mm-hmm. We're about to take a short break to hear from our studio. But before we do, I want to remind you, our listeners, to please support KCBX. If you've already made a donation during our fall pledge drive, thank you. But if you haven't yet made your pledge of support, you can still help us reach our goal by donating to kcbx.org or by calling during business hours at 1-800-549-8855. Over to you, Brad. I'm Brad Kyle with this item from the KCBX Community Calendar. Step back in time at Dana Adobe and Cultural Center's Heritage Day on Saturday, September 30th from 10 till 4. You can experience life on the rancho with skilled craftspeople showcasing mid-1800s trades. Enjoy live entertainment uh, from the period, including dancers, musicians, gold miners, and more. And engage uh, with reenactors. For more information, you can visit danaadobe.org. And just a reminder that on our website at kcbx.org, we've got many resources available for you, including our community calendar. You can submit your nonprofit or community service item to share. You will find it under the calendar tab at kcbx.org. Coming up uh, after the program, uh, we do have Latino USA coming your way at uh, 2 o'clock. Right now, let's return to Dr. Lada Murdy and her guests on Central Coast Voices. Back to you, Lada. Thank you, Brad. Welcome back to Central Coast Voices. My guests today are Quinn Brady, Project Director for Uplift Coalition, and Lady Freire, Project Manager for Uplift Coalition. And we are talking about the ongoing community engagement that Uplift is involved in to help all Central Coast residents thrive. So right before the break, we were talking about the importance of coalition building. So first, REACH is a coalition, right? And Uplift is a coalition within REACH. And then there are more coalitions forming from this community engagement. So that that's a lot of 
coalitions. So <laughs> do you want to address that? Yeah. Um, Lady and I, just on the way over here, we're talking a little bit about um, what that means. And I, I think there's something really beautiful about a coming together of organizations and people who might have different ideas about how to get to an outcome or have different goals in their work, but are committed to seeing their community rise together. <clears throat> and and that's really what Uplift is doing. And I just want to maybe name and, and, and speak to the fact that that work is so tricky. And I think we often stray from that kind of work because of how uncomfortable it can be to sit around a table with people who have deeply different perspectives than you um, or deeply different lived experiences than you and try to work together on a project that um, needs to make decisions together and toward a common a common goal. Um, we, I think our whole job is yes, to come out with a plan and you know bring together projects and bring together people. But I really feel like when I describe that work, it is putting my arms around um, a six county region and holding a container and a space for really big, hard conversations. Um, and we do that probably every day mm-hmm. and definitely every week. And um, so with our committee members and our staff, we really have a set of guiding principles that we ask people to commit to. Um, some of those might be curiosity, seek out different perspectives, um, share decision-making power, listen to individuals that feel unseen and unheard, um, challenge your own biases, and really follow a we-before-me approach. Um, and those things are incredibly important when you're making really big decisions for your community. And we have um, different goals, and we all want to see our projects funded. But we're asking our staff and each other and our committee members and, and constantly holding each other accountable to what does it look like to share power and bring a we-before-me approach to our work? Because we deeply believe that if we can do that, we can move something that's bigger than all of us together and um, you know that rise, raise the tide so all the boats rise together. You gave some beautiful imagery there. <laughs> like imagining art growing out of this. Well, I don't sleep well. well. I just think about this all night. So, <laughs> but really, just like em- embracing right mm. the um, when you said put your arms around mm-hmm. the six county region. But there's a lot of diversity in our mm-hmm. six county region, as you were mentioning. So, have there been any heated disagreements that have come up in mm. the community engagement? I mean, how do you manage that? Yeah, well, Queen is an expert on managing that. I <laughs> tend to uh, blame myself for everything, so but that's a personal <laughs> thing that I need to work on. But I think when we have we have monthly uh, um, steering committee meetings and vision committee meetings, and sometimes it's very intense because everybody is like requesting things from Uplift, and sometimes we cannot address all the requests because this is a grant from the state. We have some requirements for them. We need to report back, etc. At the same time, it's this complex project that we are engaging community members, committee members, etc. Uh, but I remember once that it was very heated discussion. And I remember I brought back the idea of we all have the same goal. We all are fighting for the same goal of having better quality of life for everybody in the region. And sometimes we are so into our little space that we don't see everybody else and we feel attacked. So I think those have been situations where we 
ask everybody to like step back, look at the whole picture and think about what are we do why are we doing this and what is the goal for everybody? And mm -hmm. I think that is when everybody can recognize and start to understand what is the other people thinking and listening. So yeah, it's been mm. some few opportunities that has been very intense, but I don't know, Queen, mm. you can talk more I think about that, that there's something really um, that's been so beautiful about those, the, the meetings that are the most hard are the ones that I respect the most because people come and they speak their truth, but they do it with a shared commitment to um, of respect for each other and um, building something that's more meaningful. And so, Um, I mostly when when we've had those conversations, to me, it feels like it feels like respect and it feels like love and it feels like commitment. And I think that that is the goal of a coalition um, is that you're you're coming together to, to create something bigger than yourselves. Um, and you're committed to having those hard conversations and being uncomfortable and that as a, a in human nature and especially um, in for in more privileged positions it's really hard to say yes to being uncomfortable um, and so if there's anything that I encourage our team toward and our committees toward and um, anybody that's kind of entering this work and and probably in so many roles um, not not just within coalition or mm -hmm. within uplift um, but really exploring and getting really curious about what our own um, barriers to discomfort are and seeing what we can do to to open those because it just creates so much more opportunity and that goes back to the we before mm. i or or mm. me right which is much easier said than done mm. and i was thinking about what you said about self-blame that you know that that would be me too but again that's kind of putting us as individuals before, oh, like, I must have done something mm -hmm. wrong. Mm -hmm. But you've got these dynamics that maybe are unprecedented, it sounds like, from what you're saying, that no one's mm -hmm. really done this before, mm -hmm. um, which makes me think of the six-county region as a whole. Is that, did you choose those six counties? Um, or did the state, or you said there were, 13 yeah. overall regions? Yeah, yeah, great question. So the state um, broke up the state of uh, uh, California into 13 regions. And so really there's there's 13 uh, um, different organizations and, and collectives and collaborations leading this work. And so we, our area was a, you know broken up by the, by the state as a six county region. Um, and we get to the opportunity actually to meet together monthly with all the other regions to hear about the pain points and the things that are going well and learn from each other. And there's always lots of good ideas um, that we are like, oh, we should, We should explore that. What does that look like? Um, and then there's also lots of things that the challenges that they're facing that we're facing. And it's um, been so good to have those spaces to to collaborate and learn from each other, but also really recognizing that so many areas of our state are very different from the Central Coast. Um, so we're really on our own frontier mm -hmm. figuring out how to do something that hasn't been done before here. Yeah, and also trying to conv convene everybody in a region that is six counties very far apart mm -hmm. geographically and also the local aspect is very important because it's not the same to be living in Hollister in San Benito than Montecito in Santa Barbara. That's the type of diversity that we have. It's not only um, demographic, it's income, it's background, it's uh, different stories for people that came from other countries, a uh, type of jobs. So yeah, it's a, it's a challenge to bring together all the six counties. 
Definitely. I mean, if nothing else, learning about this project has helped me with my own geography and geographic yeah. knowledge. <laughs> I didn't know San Benito County existed. Sorry, <laughs> listeners, any <laughs> listeners in San Benito, but but now I know who you are. And honestly, it, it speaks to the importance of this work, right? Mm-hmm. Because if I don't even know that county existed, mm-hmm. then I'm guessing it's a disinvested community. It's mm-hmm. it's underrepresented, right? At least on the central coast. So, um, so yeah. I just I, I wanted I guess drive home just sort of the magnitude, <laughs> the ambition here, and mm-hmm. and the unprecedented um, nature of it. Really. So. Um, Lady, you had talked about some of the stories you learned. Childcare mm-hmm. is definitely an issue. You yeah. both brought it up. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other concerns you're finding out? Any initial preliminary findings that you can share? Yeah, I can talk about what are we listening. And housing is the big topic everywhere. It, regardless your ethnicity, your class, your level of education, housing is a problem everywhere. And this is not a grant for um, solving that problem, but we are listening from them, and it's a big thing. Um, Childcare is important. Healthcare. We had a listening session that was virtual with a group of people in Greenfield in Monterey County. And they are a support group for parents with kids with disabilities. And they said, we feel excluded because we only can have an expert like once a month or even you need to wait for three months for having an appointment with a specialist for my kid. So that feels, uh, that make us feel more excluded. They are a farm working community, mostly Latino immigrants. Um, They struggle with English and that is a thing across all the six counties, people that don't know how to speak English, there are immigrants, they said that is a luxury to have time to go to a community college or to a local school to learn English. It's either you go and learn English or you go and have food on your table. So those are the type of stories that we are listening. And sometimes people say from I've heard from other people like, okay, we know that housing is a problem. We know that childcare, we know about the immigrant struggles. Uh, what else are you finding? And again, bringing back one step back, it's they are the same group were saying at the end, thank you for giving us the space to talk about this. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking in consideration our specific lives. So it's all about listening. Um, we are listening probably the same issues everywhere. But it's important to have this space for people to talk and to voice what are those um, uh, impacts or their challenges. There's also assets that we, when we talk about economic development, we don't usually, or community engagement, we don't usually think about. But there, is, there are a lot of community-based organizations helping people thrive in their communities. Community itself is a big asset. Um, I remember in Nukuyama, it was about somebody said there's not enough jobs for women there's only jobs for men or the scarcity of water is making us to have less hours of working so i'm i'm working less because i can there's no need for workers 
And it was a big discussion. In another group, it was the same, like very hopeless discussion and communication. Uh, but at the end, in that new Kuyama um, listening session, somebody said, but we are not going anywhere. We're going to stay here. We're going to make this town thrive. So it's really important, uh, that part. And we want to bring back those voices to any type of strategy that we are planning. Um, yeah, so I don't know, Queen, if you want to add that's something. That's some real resilience. Yes, yeah. totally. I'm Lada Murti with you for Central Coast Voices on KCBX, Central Coast Public Radio, your listener-supported radio station. We want to thank all of you who donated during our fall pledge drive. And if you didn't donate yet, it's not too late. Help us meet our fundraising goal. Pledge at kcbx.org or call 1-800-549-8855 during business hours. If you recently joined us for today's episode of Central Coast Voices and want to listen to the entire broadcast, you can. It's available on our website at kcbx.org. That's www.kcbxorg.org under the On Demand tab. Click on Central Coast Voices and you will find this show and many others to choose from. Today my guests are Lady Freire, Project Manager for Uplift Coalition, and Quinn Brady, Project Director for Uplift Coalition. And we are talking about Uplift's work to create greater economic opportunity in six counties of California's Central Coast. Santa Cruz, San Benito, Monterey, San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, and Ventura counties. So right before that announcement, lady, you were saying that the grant is not to solve mm -hmm. these problems. So what is it for in the end? What is the, the overall goal, the ultimate objective of this work? Yeah, um, thanks for that question. I, I think that the stark realities facing our community aren't, aren't lost on anyone, right? Like we all can see that all six counties um, experience the extreme dichotomies of prosperity and poverty. Um, and so our work is really to, um, in a community-led way, come up with strategies, um, projects, pilots, exploration of um, ways to overcome some of those barriers. So. Um, with really hitting the heart of what's central to Uplift Coalition is that making sure anything we put forward in a strategy or a project is um, at the center of economic opportunity, equity, and sustainability. Um, so California has really big climate goals, and we're not going to be doing anything to, to um, work against that. We need to be moving toward um, clean jobs and ensuring that we have a livable future for our, our young people. We also really need to be um, making sure that we're promoting well-being and social cohesion and um, environmental resilience and social inclusion, which is not necessarily at the forefront of traditional economic planning exercises. Um, so, so the projects and the strategies will hit at ensuring that we start to, to train and create opportunity for our future workforce and our, our current workforce that move people from struggling family status and low-wage jobs into jobs and pathways that will allow them to provide for their families. So we're, it's not um, paying for uh, the, the groceries necessarily. It's creating those longer-term solutions that help people who um, are traditionally struggling to make ends meet in an incredibly high demand on what it costs to live here um, and 
creating new pathways and opportunities for training, um, for resourcing, for childcare to even make the the ability to get into a training possible, um, funding to go into a a training, um, and and making sure that our industries that do exist here are connected with those training programs and pathways, and that those training programs and pathways are directly connected with the organizations who are serving our underrepresented communities. So speaking of connections, how are the stories, the lived experiences, the data that you are collecting now going to lead mm-hmm. to those pathways and opportunities. Are you sharing those with the state? Where where does that go? Yeah, great question. Um, so over the next six months, really six to eight months, we'll be continuing the community engagement that we've been speaking to a little bit and um, capturing all of that data and information in a way that um, we're able to really um, meaningfully honor the stories that people are sharing with us and move that toward informing um, the, the types of, of projects that we, we bring forward. And so that looks like um, finding, taking, analyzing it all and all those key findings in those community engagement sections. What are the big themes that keep surmount, um, coming to the surface? We've talked about um, migration status or education, childcare, a belonging has certainly been one. Um, and then bringing that together with the deep dive of de- into data, existing strategies, research, polling, surveys, and all of those findings, and then working together with our, our committees to analyze all of that, really understand the key pain points, really understand what are some of the things that could meet to those key pain points, which will be the hardest part of this work. And then once we've identified those key pain points and some of the things that could meet them, opening it back up to our community and the organizations and industries that are here to come back with ideas and projects um, and apply for funding. Um, We'll go back to the state to apply for implementation funding. So like I said at the very beginning, this is not a plan that we create a cool roadmap to put on a shelf and say we've done it and check a box. This will drive additional funding back to our communities to meet some of these needs. And um, I don't. I think there's a lot of indications and, and markers of what this a successful planning process can be. But to me, it's making sure that the strategies and solutions that we start to identify draw funding down so that we can implement them and start to meet the need. So this is really local. This is mm-hmm. staying in the Six County region until there are specific things to ask the state for funding for. So I'm guessing that an individual who wants to share their lived experience story doesn't need to worry about a state organization mm. or government coming to know their specific no, yeah. good question. Their, their specific business, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. um it's that it's gathered for this project mm-hmm. to go to the state later to say, we've identified these pain points as you said, and this is how you can help fund us so yeah they're not so painful that's right yeah we are taking great care to make sure that every story that's shared with us um that people can feel safe and find belonging um in partnership with us that they share those stories so regardless of immigration status or um, ex- lived experience that those stories can help inform and they do and they will and every voice is valued um and that those the individual um nobody will be identified in that that process making. And it really is, as you mentioned, a locally owned community-based effort, which is what makes it so special and um, so tricky sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your timeline again? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, so we've been at this about six months. Um, in June of 2024, we will submit all of those findings and all of the um, kind of our learnings and recommendations in a roadmap back to the state. So less than a year from right now. Um, and then from there, we will um, work on the implementation funding and what it looks like to continue this work and, and take the next steps, which we which will be happening. Um, so we'll be continuing with our, our committee members and our, those organizations to identify the, the projects that um, receive that next, that next piece of funding to continue it forward. So how will you know when you are done? Because you could gather <laughs> stories. I mean, I deal with this in, in my, my own work, right, in doing sociological research or community-based research. There's no end mm -hmm. to what you can learn about a community and, and their stories. So how will you know when you're you're done maybe with that listening session part. Yeah, well, we're going to, as Queen was saying, we're going to continue working towards listening to all the community members. And then we need to have, a, we have this uh, timeline where we're going to put all together the research that we have been doing about demographic census data, et cetera, plus all the information that we are gathering from listening sessions to a strategic plan. Um, and that's going to be next year in, in June, July. Um, so, yeah, that's when we stop gathering information from the community. But then we're going to continue the community engagement, bringing back this strategic plan to people to um, receive feedback. Is this aligned with what you are experienced in your life? And this is not going to be community, um, community members, but also um, industry leaders. We're going to start now doing roundtables about different sectors and industries. So the gathering information is one piece, and then is putting back together all that we hear to the community to receive feedback about that. So that's it's like closing the circle about being very inclusive in getting all the voices in this report and in this planning. And the governance structure, the steering committee members and the vision committee members are going to part, be a key part for that because they are going to be guiding, they're going to be feeding with all this information and guiding what are the projects or what are the issues that we can address within the implementation phase. So what is the planned date for going back to the communities? Is that in June or before June? Yeah, um, great question. So in, in June, we'll have that um, really document and that roadmap, and that is what we'll be bringing back to the community. So May, May June, um, for us, it's really important that mm -hmm. everybody that helped inform the plan, the, that plan, they can see themselves in it, and they know that we didn't just um, extract from them their time and their resources, but that we really – we, we implemented um, their voice into the work. And so we'll be going back and ensuring and working with our partners to make sure that that, that is back socialized with the community and, and lives with the community. This is com community informed, community created, um, even even the research. We have a, a, a research committee of local issue area experts to make sure that that research can eventually live locally um, and be co-owned here. Really community driven so to close us out, could each of you talk about the personal impact that doing mm -hmm. this work has had on each of you? Yeah, I can start. Um, well, I'm an immigrant. I, when I moved to this country, I, I needed to start from zero. I was nobody when I came here. Uh, and regardless your education or your background, your story, 
you start from zero here. So when I go to the community to do these conversations and to meet people that only speak Spanish, uh, I can relate their experiences and they can relate in my experience too. Um, also as an anthropologist, I love this component of community engagement, uh, doing research, research um, listening to stories about people. And in my professional life, um, I think it, the most important part of my life is my professional career. Um, I'm very happy to be part of a team that is very uh, knowledgeable. It's very fun to work with. I'm super happy to have met Quinn and be working together because I think we bring different things to the group or into the work. So yeah, I'm super happy and I think it's the right place where I need to be right now. Mm. Wonderful. Quinn? Yeah. Um, I love this question because I think it's so like there is absolutely a, a personal drive in this work for me. I've always like worked toward creating belonging in, in communities and um, but for I, I'm a single mom and I think when I look at what it takes to live here and have a um, queer identity as a female and a single mother on the central coast and um, a single income household and make it all work, I know the reality of that pain. And, and what it takes, but also the commitment to being in a community that you love. And so the the work is personal, but it's so much beyond that for me because I also have an incredible amount of privilege as, as a, a, a white person in a middle-class community that's educated and in a full-time job. So um, the work is, I think for me, um, deeply connected to the community that I'm in and much bigger and, and more broad than me, and also deeply personal to make sure that our communities are livable for, for my kids and, and all of our kids. I want to thank our guests, Quinn Brady, Project Director for Uplift Coalition, and Lady Freire, Project Manager for Uplift Coalition. We've been talking about economic development on California's Central Coast and how the six-county Uplift Coalition was formed to research and improve this development so that all of this county's residents can thrive. You can learn more about Uplift on Reach Central Coast's website at reachcentralcoast.org forward slash Uplift Central Coast. Next week on Thursday, September 28th, please join Chris Kington Barker as she speaks with guests also involved in improving the overall health of communities on California's Central Coast. You are invited to listen, learn, and participate in the conversation between 1 and 2 p.m. Central Coast Voices has been sponsored by Action for Healthy Communities and the San Luis Obispo Community Foundation in collaboration with KCBX. I'm Lada Murti. Thank you for joining us today.